the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. Our God is good, and our God is faithful. You know, the key verse for this program and for my life is, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. That's Psalms 37, verse 3. And uh, I love to hear stories of people and how the Lord has been faithful in their lives. And uh, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to interview a young lady who had gone through a lot of trauma in her life, Lillian uh, Neenhouse, and uh, she had an amazing story of redemption and the love of a family and the love of her mom and dad. And uh, with me today, actually, is Lillian's mother, Melissa Neenhouse, and uh, she's going to share her story because we want to hear from her as well. Melissa, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck, for having me. Yeah, it's good to meet you, and uh, we're recording kind of remotely in these pandemic days. We uh, we do some remote recording these days, but you and I see each other over over a Zoom call. But uh, we're recording today, and uh, but but welcome, uh, and thank you for joining me today. So, tell me about yourself. You're a wife. You're a mother. Uh, did you grow up in the Northwest? Uh, give me a little background. I did not grow up in the Northwest. I grew up in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I was born in Long Beach, California, moved to Cerritos, California, graduated from Cal State Fullerton, and somehow I did end up in Washington in the Pacific Northwest. And my husband and I have been married for 29 years. We have four children, and we did have a dog, but that is no more, so... <laughs> I yes. understand. So you've been in the uh, the Oak Harbor area and now near Linden, Washington uh, yes. for several years. And so, uh, well, tell me about your background. Did you grow up uh, as a believer? Did you co- Were you a Christian family growing up? Uh, what's, what's your spiritual formation like? Well, when I was a child, uh, I do have to add that I was an only child. And... I did not grow up in a Christian household. Uh, Both my mom and my dad worked. So I was with my grandparents and my aunt and uncles for most of the days. And they would take me to a Catholic church uh, every so often. So I grew up in that Catholic faith uh, part-time. And the other time uh, was filled with a lot of superstition and witchcraft. Mm. My mom's side of the family practiced witchcraft. Okay. So that's what I grew up in and that's what I practiced. So uh, some people 
only think about witchcraft uh, on October 31st, but it's a right. it's a real uh, and um, it's it's a real practice, and uh, there are real people that practice witchcraft. Yes. So let's dig into that a little bit. So uh, your your mom was a practicing witch. Yes, my mom, my grandmother. It was basically it was steeped into the family. For example, let's say I was going on a job interview. Oh, well, let me fix this powder. And we put this powder in the bottom. I know it sounds silly. We put this powder in the bottom of your shoe. And that is for good luck. Um, So there were different spells that were cast, different things that you carried with you. Maybe you carried an amulet in your pocket or your purse to ward off the evil. There were rituals to clean your house and to rid your house of evil spirits. So basically anything you wanted in life, you turned to witchcraft to help you get that or get rid of that situation. So did your did your mother and grandmother consider themselves good witches? Yes, I don't think at that time they really called themselves witches. This was just something that they practiced. This was something that they lived. It was part of their lifestyle. Hmm. Uh, It was so heavily entrenched. It was just something that you automatically did. Interesting. So they didn't identify themselves. They they wouldn't have said to you, we are practicing witches. No. Yeah. No. When I was in high school, I had... uh, a friend that was a year older that who was a practicing witch and was very open about that. Now this was back 1972, 1973, and uh, was very much adamant about you know the practices and would talk about the fact that he's not a dark witch or a, uh, a black yes. witch, but a good witch that you know was there to be a force for good, you know, right in Earth. So. So you began to take up those same uh, ideas and practices. Yes. And as far as good and bad practices, um, I personally never participated in any of the bad because I was afraid. Hmm. Uh, I saw my mom, who is very, very strong, a very, very strong force to be reckoned with. And I saw what happened when she practiced the dark arts. And I think it scared me on some level, so I never I never tried it. Yeah. But her, her sister, and my grandmother uh, practiced that. And I even, at certain times, well, I remember in the 1970 or 72... Uh, Silmar earthquake out in California, the big one, Mm -hmm. right? So I was a very young girl, and that just scared me. And it scared me so much, I was afraid to walk around the house. And they didn't quite know what to do with me. So I remember laying down in the hallway of my grandmother's house and having my mom and my grandmother pass a raw egg back and forth over the top of my body. 
back and forth, back and forth, chanting whatever it is. I, that I don't remember. I don't remember exactly the words they said. But they passed it back and forth. Then they laid a cloth on top of me, cracked the egg into that cloth, and then wrapped up the cloth. And then there was my grandfather there. And he took the cloth, wrapped it up, and it had to be put in a specific sack. So he put that in and wrapped it up, and then he had to take it and throw it away somewhere in a dumpster, a trash can, outside of the house. And that was supposed to cure me. Hmm. Um, but it didn't. <laughs> it uh, it really didn't work. So uh, different well, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, as people are listening to this, those who aren't uh, familiar or aware of these types of practices, I have to say they're very real. They and are. uh uh, when I was on staff at Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California, mm-hmm. uh, back in the late 90s, uh, we would come out of our building uh, there uh, off of Kester and, and Van Nuys and uh, Sherman Way, and um, we would at times find um, cassette tape, the tape, not the cassette itself, but the tape would be wound all around the bushes outside the entryways. And what would happen was is that those who wanted to curse us would put curses would record right. curses on the tape yeah. and then and uh, and then wind that tape around and leave it uh, out in the entryways and the doorways as you're exiting the building and at times we would find in in kind of secluded areas of the exterior of the building, little altars that people yes. would build. Yes. And so you, you know, and those are practices that people do. Some people, they think it's foolishness, but but those practices are very real and can be very powerful. I mean, I, res- I, sh- I want to be advised, I respect them in the sense of I know how serious those practices are. Well, and when I speak to people about it, they... Most of them do not want to believe it. They do not want to acknowledge it. They say, how can that be? Our God is so mighty and so powerful. And with that, I agree. Our God is mighty. He is powerful. He is more powerful than any spell you could even imagine. And with him covering me, I have no worries because nothing, nothing will get to me. Nothing at all. But I I remember the spells, and I remember watching my mom, especially my mom and my my aunt. Uh, when they work together, they are very powerful. But to that, I can say, Satan is powerful. Yeah, Satan yeah. is real. Satan is powerful, and he is the director of all of that. Absolutely, every bit of that evil comes from him and comes from his guidance. Yeah. So you grew up in that environment, and uh, so um, how did you then begin to understand the ways of the Lord uh, um, as you were growing up? Well, I did not understand the ways of the Lord. As I said, I went to a Catholic church, but I don't know that I really learned anything about the Lord I learned that uh, Catholic Church was a, a good place to go to. It was comfortable. It made me feel good. It made me feel warm. But I also thought that 
if I did anything wrong, that God was a very, very punishing God, so I just better watch myself. But it wasn't until I was married, I got married at 21 years old, and that marriage lasted about four to five years. It was doomed right from the start. Neither one of us were believers at that time. And so I had basically hit rock bottom and I was working at a grocery store and I was bagging groceries and that's not a bad job, but it just signifies how low I had dropped that that was the only job I could get with all the training and all the education that I had. So one day I got the courage up to ask another courtesy clerk because this courtesy clerk was an older gentleman and he was always happy uh, with all the things that went wrong and everyone gossiping. Earl always had a smile on his face. And so one day I just went up to him and I said, Earl, what is it? What do you have? Why are you always so happy? And he put both of his hands on my shoulders and he said, Melissa, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's why I'm so happy. And I just stood there and I went, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? What do you mean? So that was the beginning of many conversations with Mr. Earl. Yeah, yeah. And he's just living life, being a clerk just like you are, and yep. uh, customer service. And, yes. And he's a happy man. Yes, you know? very much so. Yeah. Now, so, so what happened next? Well, I thought, God, Jesus, who, I don't know anything about this, this, this Jesus. I don't know. So I went back to the only place I knew, and that was the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, it made me feel comfortable. It made me feel warm. I knew what to do. So I started going back there. But I knew something was wrong. Something was missing. And eventually I went to church with Earl, and that was the beginning. And by this time, I had found Bill or I didn't actually find him, the Lord saw in his wisdom to put us both together. Mm -hmm. And we started going going to church. Bill was a believer. Hmm. Yeah. So you start going to church, and then your your heart begins to see the ways of the Lord. Yes. Tell, oh, yes. Tell me about that. It took me a good year or two years to leave my ways behind. Um, the witchcraft was so steeped. It was steeped so deeply. It was entrenched in me. It was part of me. It was part of my lifestyle. That's all I knew how to do. So I found myself going to church and yet at the same time thinking, oh, I better grab my amulet. Oh, no, 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 no. No, Melissa, you don't need that. Oh, I should put some powder. Oh, no, no, no. You don't need that either. So it was like trying to train myself to not automatically think of that. Hmm. 
but to think of Jesus instead, to think mm-hmm. of Jesus first. Hmm. So that's that took some time. That was not easy. It was not easy. So did you, were you still not necessarily identifying that as witchcraft? You just saw that as a way of, uh, a way of life, uh, but you, you weren't really seeing that as a practice that was uh, evil in a sense. I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what was happening in your mind as far as those practices. But obviously the Holy Spirit was beginning to, 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 to work on your heart. Uh, yes. Did you have other believers that were saying, hey, you don't need to do this? Or was it mostly just the Holy Spirit and the Word just saying to you, this, it, isn't, this isn't right? It was completely the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And it was at this time that I realized, ah, this is wrong. This is evil. It's not just, as I was growing up, it was something you did. It was part of your lifestyle. I never identified it as bad, evil from Satan. But it was when the Lord was brought into my heart, then I realized, oh my goodness, what am I doing what have I done? This is wrong. This is evil. This is from Satan. So I needed to depend on God all that more. So that's the time in my life when I was literally hit in the face with this big, dark, black cloud that there was actually no way around it. I had to work through it, and that was difficult. Yeah. So... um so- so was there a a key moment then where there was just a kind of like a I'm going to lay this down and no longer or was it just a progression in your life where these things that the holy spirit would identify and say this is you know this isn't of god you need to stop doing this particular practice or thinking in this way you know how did that work out it was definitely a progression although i would have preferred the lightning bolt moment, (laughs) but God did not grant that to me. I needed to walk through all of it, every bit of darkness. Um, And I did with the Holy Spirit nudging me, yelling at me, (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, no, no, no. So I left it behind. Yeah, for those that are listening that may not quite understand why what was what was the lord saying to you uh, during that time why why is it wrong why are doing these particular practices or uh, when you talk about amulets uh, where where people have you know a favorite necklace or they put something on the you know in the mirror of their car that might have some sort of a significance to them right. what what is it that you're uh, what the Lord was saying to you about why that practice is, is wrong. What He was telling me it was wrong because he is the one who made me. He is the one who created me, and he did not make a mistake, and he created me for his good. He did not create me to dabble in these evil practices because when you do that, then your heart's divided. Not only is it wrong, but your heart is now divided. God does not want a divided heart. He wants complete and total obedience to him. Hmm. And that's when I realized, aha, my heart needs to belong completely 
to the Lord. I cannot serve. You've heard you've heard that serving two masters. I I could not. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're listening to Melissa Neenhouse, and uh, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmsted, the host. And uh, Melissa, we've got about uh, four minutes left, and uh, we still have a lot of your story to tell. So we're going to go to a part two on this, uh, but I I just want to kind of lead us into what part two is going to be about. And uh, so you and Bill um, uh, married, still living in Southern California? Uh, no, Bill and I were in uh, Washington. You were in Washington at that time. So, yes. um, and uh, you mentioned you have four children. So, what years uh, did you start having children? Oh my goodness, that was in the nineties. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the nineties, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well I, I totally neither understand. one of us remember yeah, the nineties. <laughs> no, I, I get that. You know, all I remember when I was having our kids is that I changed diapers for ten straight years. Yeah, you know, there you go. And so, yeah, it does get to be kind of a blur, doesn't it? But yes. So you had your children here in Washington State, and uh, yes. uh, boys, girls. How many of how many of each? We have three boys and one girl. Right, and we met Melissa, uh, or Melissa. We met uh, Lily uh, on yes. um, uh, on Heart of the City a while back, and and so I want to kind of focus in on that part of it because uh, the story of Lily and her um, uh, her rape, her her yes. addiction to heroin is a yep. is a powerful story, and uh, we we want to talk about how. You saw her story from from a mom's point of view. So uh, right. we've got a couple minutes left. Just kind of introduce us to to what was going on and and her teenage years and what was what was happening with her. Well, as I said, Bill and I have been married for twenty nine years, and we have our four children. So all four children have grown up in this home with the same mom and dad in a Christian household. We homeschooled for a while. Uh, We went to church, Bible study, you name it, we were there. So the upbringing of all four children was definitely Christian, was definitely talking about the Lord. Many, many, many good conversations. Um, And then when Lillian was 14, she she was our second child. So we we had at that time a 17, a 14, a 12, and an 11-year-old. So at that time, that's when everything changed. Hmm. Yeah. When she was 14. When she was 14, then uh, she had described it in her story that, uh, you know, she you had moved from Oak Harbor uh, up to uh, Linden, and so there were yes. some transitions that happened earlier, and she started going to public school and started to hang around a group of kids that uh, uh, obviously began to lead her down a path of uh, destruction, if you will. And so as a mom, you know, you're beginning to see that happen, uh, you know, to your daughter. And I'm sure there's a lot of fear struck in your heart as far as where, where you see her heading. So we're going to be talking about that in, in uh, uh, on next week's program on Heart of the City. But as we're wrapping up this program, I just want to encourage our listeners, because I, I never want to kind of leave a story hanging in the sense of, 
you know, how would you summarize the first part of what we've been talking about as far as the Lord working in your life uh, and, and what he's done through that process, through getting out of witchcraft? Uh, well, how would you encourage our listeners as we're summarizing today's program? There is not one single problem in your life that the Lord cannot solve. I was the only believer on my mom's side of the family, and the Lord saved me. He saw to pull me out. I am the only believer. And if he can save me because he loves me, he can do the same for you. <laughs> well, you've been listening to um, Melissa Neenhaus, and um, if you want to hear this story or L- Lily's story, you can go to the podcast which is at thewordseattle.com. Click on local programs. You'll see my smiling face for Heart of the City. And uh, you can find all of the podcasts uh, for Heart of the City there. Melissa, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. You've been listening to this 820 AM, The Word special, Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, The Word, call Chuck Olmstead. 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com.